teams sit right on the baseline. The big fella from New Zealand. When we cut him off baseline, he started walking in there. Welcome on into the Baseline Podcast. Uh, we have another great guest today on as we continue our team breakdowns. Today we're breaking down the Boston Celtics with Keith Smith. Um, Keith does a whole bunch of stuff. He's a real, uh, I'm going to say, cap nerd. That's a, obviously a massive thing on um, on NBA Twitter and uh, also a Celtics blog, um, Spotify Green Room. He does lots of different things and uh, has has built a real following for himself around some really strong cap knowledge and and also um, as part of the um, the the Boston Celtics in terms of of the team and, and reporting on them. Keith, how are you going today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. I I appreciate you went right forward and and said cap nerd and didn't try to like make it nice or anything like that because that's exactly what it is. So I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, and like I think. The, the hardcore fans, like they know and love that sort of deep dive analysis. Um, and people want to know it's part of like that. The cap nerdery is part of, um, part of the, what makes the NBA so great free agents and all that sort of stuff. Like I had, I had Eric Pincus on the show to do the Lakers a couple of months back and people loved that episode because it was just, um, he, he explained in depth about how you can predict certain moves and you can understand why, teams make certain moves based on those things so that's why yep. it's such a great part of of the nba's uh, calendar yeah very rare is the uh basketball trade that is made about basketball for both teams involved very often it is about the salary cap for one of the two teams uh it's involved and we've seen a number of trades this year that absolutely fit that to, that description so i uh, i'm there uh, eric's one of my favorite people in the world you know just one of the yeah, absolute you know nicest people i've ever met so yeah. i'm uh, humbled to be following along behind him here with you <laughs> yeah it's good man and i think that's also what makes NBA, like the NBA community so great is, is that this in basketball community is that you get different people on who um, are different parts of the teams uh, of reporting on teams and maybe they'll be more of an X and O standpoint or, um, you know, like that's sort of what makes things so interesting and that's why uh, I love these breakdowns. Um, so as far as the, the Celtics go, um, I feel that this has probably been the most that we've seen happened with the team in the last little while i think starting with personnel in the front office um mm -hmm. uh, i i watched a bit of celtics last year and, and i'm actually really high on them as a team that i that i enjoy watching and i think i and i like like the young core where do you feel the team is sitting at at the moment in terms of where they're at in their life cycle like obviously they've got two guys on their max contracts so they are trying to contend but where do you feel they're at and and with the your new general manager and new head coach. Uh, how how do the, the 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 fan base feel about about those moves, um, and where do you feel they're at personally? Yeah, I think with the Celtics, as you kind of look at them right now, they are not um, they're not contending, but they're also not rebuilding. And I think they fit the bill for a team that is kind of in the in the middle, I, I guess. Um, if, if I can put it that way, um, where so many times fans and myself included, we want to slot a team into they're either going for it or they're completely rebuilding. And everybody, there's become this negativity about you get stuck in the middle and those kind of things. Now, yeah. 
I live in Orlando. The Orlando Magic were 100% headed towards getting stuck in the middle. And that's why they made those trades to kind of say, you know what, we don't want to just be the sixth, eighth seed every year. We want to push this thing forward. We want to be better. And they blew it up. Boston is in the middle. I like to say they're in the middle by circumstance versus by choice, meaning last year they had a ton of injuries. Uh, I, I believe it held true all the way through the end of the season. I quite frankly stopped tracking it because it was kind of depressing, but I think they had the most games lost due to COVID um, in the league. Then they had uh, Jalen Brown got hurt and injured right at the end of the year. Jason Tatum missed time. And it was like every time the team was like, I had to turn a turn in a corner. They're kind of figuring this out. It was like, they're going to be okay. Somebody new went down and it that 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 was the entire season because they started without Kemba Kemba came back Tatum was out Tatum came back Marcus Smart was out Marcus Smart came back Kemba was never still really right they lost a couple other guys and then Jalen Brown was out at the end of the year and they were never really the team I think that we all thought that they could be so now what we see with the Celtics I think is their I like to call this kind of a bridge season where this was a year where it's let's get better, but we don't need to go all in. We don't necessarily need right now to sell off everything to go trade for Damian Lillard or for whoever it is. We just need to get get the team to a better place. So we're moving things forward because I do think they're very conscious of not wanting to waste years of Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown uh, while they are very good players because we know how it goes with young players in this league. Jason Tatum's just starting an extension this this season that'll start here in about a month or so, which is also a little mind bending. Um, mm-hmm. We're already there, yeah. But I think we need to be conscious of, and I think the Celtics are is that's great that he's just starting that extension, but if you're not moving in a good direction early on, a year or two into it, he's going to say. Or what are we doing here? I want to go somewhere else. That's just how it works in the NBA. Uh, I think the more people who uh, learn and accept that, the happier your viewing experience can be. I don't necessarily love it either. And I don't like when we start pitching homes for all these guys before they've ever even said they're, you know, don't want to be where they are. I think that becomes a problem. But, but yeah, so I think that's a very long answer. Your very simple question of the Celtics are they're, this is a bridge season. I, 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 I'm probably higher on them than I think maybe your average person is. I think they're going to be a pretty good team this year, but I, I, I don't think that they are where it looked like they might be a couple years ago where it was like, all right, this team is now set for the next half decade of title contention. I think they've stepped back from that, but they're resetting to get back to that point again. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's great breakdown, Keith. I, I feel that the Celtics as a team, that they hit on 80% of the, of the bits that they needed. You know, they have two, one superstar and one star backing them up. And I think Jalen Brown is, has all NBA potential and yep. his development curve is probably not as steep as Tatum, but an, a great combo of two. And then now you're starting to see a Robert Williams and these other guys come on. But the injury to Kemba was, injuries that Kemba had, I think really impacted what they were able, what the Celtics were able to be the last couple of years. And I felt... I felt for Kimba, like not looking at it from a fan point point of view, you know, like that the fans maybe they're annoyed about the contract or whatever. Just from a when you look at Kimba as a, a guy and a person, like he was in a crap, pretty crappy situation and um, with the Hornets, uh, you know, they only made the playoffs once or twice. 
he was basically he basically helped build the franchise to be relevant uh, after Michael Jordan took over, and then they don't want to pay him. He gets a, a deal that he's so deserving of after being on a team friendly deal for so long, yep. and then he gets injured when basically he's in his prime. And you, like, obviously it's a business, and I understand that, um, but it was it was tough. And then when you look at the big situation, it just didn't really work out when and Ennis Cantor and Tristan Thompson and having guys in there that, that were good NBA players but didn't really fit what it is that that, that the Celtics needed. Well, what did you think of the of the Kemba move? I think it was the best move to 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 move off him. But what did you think about that? And then in terms of bringing in someone like Horford, who's been part of the team before, it is like a little bit of a retooling, as you say, as part of that bridge season, to be like, right, this is what we've got. We're already capped out, so we... These are the moves that we had to make to get better because we didn't have cap space. What, what did you think of those couple of moves? Yeah, I think the to start off with Kemba is I I love Kemba. I I really enjoyed covering him the last couple of years, and because of the environment, the way the 2020 season ended, and then the way this whole last season went, even though I'm not with the team in the market on a day-to-day basis, we still got to know these guys as good as you can, even though it was all virtual because we were all in the same boat. It didn't matter if you lived down the street from the practice facility or thousands of miles away like I do, you were able to just, we all still had the same access. And I really came to grow to enjoy Kemba. I always thought he was very upfront. I appreciated his positivity despite everything that kind of went around. All that said, I think it was necessary for the Celtics to to make that trade to clear things up moving forward. Now, some people have jumped on and said they created all this flexibility and then used it all up by signing Marcus Smart to an extension and Robert Williams to an extension, but it's not the same thing. It's, it is different things that happened there. And then I think the fact that they lost Evan Fournier, it's – if we were just talking basketball, like kind of how we started the show, saying these things aren't always just about basketball, well, yeah, that sucks, but you also have to manage a cap sheet, and I think that that was not the the way. I, I think it was a position where, yeah, we, we got to do this, think about this a little bit differently. He is not um, Fournier at the contract the Knicks gave him, although I think it's fine for the Knicks, would not have made sense for the Celtics. No. And then adding Josh Richardson in with the rest of the trade exception. I just think that's good um, arbitrage of we had an asset that was going to go to waste. We used it. Now extending Josh Richardson, we've now turned that into a where, where we can make that a, a trade uh, there. And I, and I think those things are um, are very important for the way the Celtics have done things under Brad Stevens. I think Brad Stevens is the kind of guy, he's very thoughtful, he's very analytical, but when he makes up his mind, he's going to move. And I think that's what he's done here with, with this team of moving Kemba and then the the subsequent moves there. And then we'll probably get into it more in depth, I, I think, here in a minute, but the Dennis Schroeder signing kind of fell in their laps. That yep. just worked out the way it worked out, and that's great for them. And then they, from there, it just becomes a – all right, how do we best fill out the rest of this roster? And I think a big chunk of this was getting guys back who were more versatile defensively. Uh, they don't have anybody who really, – Schroeder's – he's small, but he's he's never really played super small, um, whereas like Kemba felt like you could get him in switches and pick on him. And I think the, the 
Richardson, re-signing Smart, adding Horford, bringing back Cantor. Those are guys with size that can switch and do those things. And those guys are guys who come in. Uh, Brad Stevens mentioned, and I'm spot on with him, is it's they're gritty. They're tough. They're the kind of team that Boston has had success with in the past. So that's that's where I think that part of it is really important as well. Yeah, yeah, that's a great breakdown. Yeah, and the, the Schroeder move is a real underrated one just because – obviously all the discourse around the money that you know he lost you know like and it happens you know you, you don't ever want to see a guy miss out on a life-changing uh, payday but in my eyes he had he had a great four-year deal before you know so so he's going to be all right but I think that the the too much was focused on him turning down the deal that it was like hey let's give the Celtics some credit for bringing in a guy and probably helping to rehab some of his get back some of his value for when he can get back on the market next year. I then I mean, that's what it's all about. Bring a guy in, let him play a role. And obviously you're not going to have his, his bird rights or anything next year, but next year he can enter free agency and, and, and go and get a, a bigger deal. I think Schroeder is probably a good one to start on as we talk about the guard rotation. Um, in terms of, of the way that Schroeder plays, I feel like he is probably a, a pretty good fit with the Celtics roster maybe even more so than what he was with uh, with the Lakers. He has a lot of spacing there. Um, he He's able to play, change the tempo in terms of being able to be a bit of a transition guy or if you need him to cook a little bit in ISO, he can do that. Um, do, do you feel he'll he'll primarily be, he'll, that he'll be the bench, he'll be the bench guard basically running the bench unit and um, rather than starting? I do. I, I think the intention is going to be for him to come off the bench. And, and I was told by someone with the team that it was he was sold on there's no promise of role or minutes here. Yeah. It's come in and the best players will play and Ime Udoka will figure that out uh, as best he can and, and we'll go from there. And I think for Schroeder, he had to feel confident. All right, I'm, I'm going to play plenty because they, they definitely had need for more ball handling, more scoring. One of their fatal flaws last year, which was what Fournier was supposed to fix, was the bench scoring. They just they the starters would play great. They they'd be oftentimes they'd be up 10 at the end of the first quarter and then the bench would come in in the second quarter and it would be pretty regularly four bench guys with Jason Tatum or four bench guys with Jalen Brown and by the time the starters started to filter back in midway through the quarter or so, it would be a 10-point deficit the other way. Mm-hmm. And a 20-point turnaround in a matter of seven, eight minutes of game time is bad. <laughs> you know, it's clearly not good. And that was a very regular occurrence. And then the same thing would play out in the, the second half. Yeah. So I think what they wanted to do is make sure, all right, we need some scoring on that second unit that we can make make sure things will continue to flow and get get things there. And I think with Schroeder, I'm glad you called out his ISO ability because I think you're going to see some of that come into play, especially on those second units. It'll be spread the floor for him with three shooters out there, uh, probably a big alongside him, and let him work either down a straight pick and rolls with Cantor or Horford or Williams or tell those guys, are right, you kind of, Horford you can use in different ways because he can shoot, but Cantor and Williams are you hang out in the dunker spot. He's going to play in isolation with the floor spread with shooters, and off we go. And I, and I think that's the goal now uh, for that second unit. So that that is the role I think he'll play. Marcus Smart has clearly not always been the most healthy guy. He's 
you know, pretty good bet to miss somewhere between 15 and 20 games a season. Just his all out, quite frankly, reckless style of play causes him to miss time. So I think we'll see Schroeder uh, probably start a handful of games too. But if he's really settled into that, that bench role, uh, it's not, it wouldn't be uncommon to see a coach that they, they hate to disturb that. So you could even see maybe Peyton Pritchard start and then Schroeder play comes in a little earlier in each half and plays and maybe closes games and those kind of things. But yeah, I, th- I think he's part of that versatility that they didn't necessarily have last year. I thought last year as someone who watches them every single night, they became extremely predictable uh, with rotations and all those things, even despite injuries and not knowing who was necessarily going to be available. You still had a pretty good idea of, all right, this is what we're going to see. And this is when we're going to see it. And I always go back to if you're a team like the Utah Jazz, who is maybe one of the most predictable rotations in the entire NBA last year. Well, that's because they were doing it with nine really good players. So it wasn't, it's not a problem to know, you know, here comes this guy at this time, here comes this guy at this time, and we're going to do this, this, and this, and off we go. When it's the Celtics with five and a half good NBA players and some guys figuring it out and guys who are either not on the roster or not even in the league anymore. That turns into yeah, that's that's a that's not good. <laughs> we don't want to be predictable with your two way guys getting you know major run and those kind of things. That's never a good place to be. Yeah, yeah, agreed. And and lineup versatility is is so key for a long regular season when you know you're figuring you're you're figuring things out on the fly with younger players. Um, you know, you're transitioning new guys in or out depending on the new players you've signed. And then obviously in the playoffs, I feel with the way and especially in the east where you have really dominant bigs um really important to have that versatility and that brings us to to the next player um al horford i think great piece of business bringing horford in um he obviously has a non-guarantee on future years in his contract which i feel in terms of asset play when you're capped out i mean you you have to spend uh, so so when you've when you've spent your money and you're capped out obviously um, and you're over the cap and you're looking to bring people in and make trades and like like they did, uh, someone like Horford could be a guy you've inherited his bird rights that maybe later on down the line you can bring him back on a team-friendly contract. And mm-hmm. even if even if you didn't, um, I feel that Horford, uh, if Robert Williams is the starting five, Horford is a guy that gives you some of that lineup versatility because the ability to play five out um, and just say you were like, right, you know, we know we're going to be playing the Jazz and the first or the second round um and we'd like to bring we'd like to pull rudy gobert away from the basket then having the ability to have horford there to change that lineup that's awesome uh ennis canton might not get a bunch of a massive amount of minutes in the playoffs but you're able to have different looks at the big spot who can probably stay on the floor which is which is good um and and horford i feel he still has a lot of value the problem with our nba media these days is the recency bias of um yep. have one bad year in philly when i you know i don't know what they expected having horford and uh, <laughs> in philly in the first place um you know that was that was in my eyes a lot of that it was on the team um in terms of fit but yeah, horford's a guy who can still play you know massive amounts of playoff experience excellent defender and it wasn't that long ago that we we're saying man this guy you know all the nba dude and then a year or two later he gets his money which he was really deserving of and and yeah this that discourse what do you think about Horford's fit and and I definitely agree with you around um him being a big part of the the lineup versatility 
Yeah, I think a lot of people went initially to thinking of that was just a contract move. And I'm not going to say it wasn't a major part of what happened. But this was also about getting Al Horford, the basketball player, Al Horford, the locker room presence, uh, back to the team. And, And I think because his last season was in Oklahoma City with a very bad team, by design, a very bad team, a team that um, he didn't fit with very well. I don't know how many people watched, and it was only 28 games, to be fair. Now, he says he feels great. They did good job. Uh, I, th- I mean, part of it was he played half a season. So, yeah. you know, there's there's uh, that's a little mileage off his legs that otherwise would have been there. But I think a big chunk of it is they put him in a position where it was – we're going to rehab you, make sure you're healthy, get you feeling good so we can move you along strictly for contract reasons from their side or draft pick play or whatever it is. Now, Horford, the basketball player, though, if if we go back and look, those 28 games were pretty good. 14 points, seven rebounds, the lowest minutes he's ever played in his career, only about 28 minutes per game. Shot 37% from three, which is the highest, second highest. He's ever been um, since he started taking three pointers on a regular basis. Uh, his best year was his one All Star season in Boston when he shot forty three percent from deep. But that thirty seven percent came on five and a half attempts per game. Right volume. So now that says to me more so than ever, and some of its age and those kind of things. He is a pick and pop guy, a spot up big, and all those kind of things. And when I look at what Boston did last year, when they were playing their best, it was when Daniel Tice was playing really well along with Robert Williams. And you had those very versatile styles of Williams is your lob thread. He's going to be hanging out at the rim. Tice is your pick and pop guy, your screen and roll guy, and all those kind of things. Now Boston can get back to that with the. Uh, added addition of Horford remains a an elite passing big man. So I think you're going to see them make heavy use of him, whether he starts or comes off the bench. I personally think he will start. I think Robert Williams inability to stay healthy whenever the team is added to his minutes load, makes it more likely that he will come off the bench just easier to manage his minutes that way. And then Horford will start. And then on those nights when, it's the fourth game in five nights or third game in four nights or whatever, and they give Horford the night off. Williams probably moves up into the starting group. Cantor will play that night, plays 20 minutes off the bench versus maybe five to 10 on a regular night, and off you go. So uh, I think Horford's going to be a big, big part of what they do this year. And I've been now switching, trying to switch people's mindsets to they're not, they're not going to be a cap space team next year because the extensions they did. Stop thinking about Horford as a $14.5 million partial guarantee. Think of it as a $26 million contract, whether it's the Celtics guarantee it or it's a trade piece or whatever it is, they're not going to take that out. Unless what they do, which we see on occasion, is they waive him to knock down the number some, and then they they re-sign him to a $3 or $4 million contract. And now he's... He still got his fourteen and a half guaranteed, and now you're getting a three or four more on top, and and off we go. So we'll see how that all plays out with him. But I think at least for this coming season, he's going to be a big part of what, what they're doing because I think they know he still has a good amount of value left. 
Yeah, agreed. Yeah, he's still a he's still a player in this league that can add value in, in regular season and playoffs. As I work my way down the list, uh, Jalen Brown's the next uh, name on um, uh, on my cap sheet. Um, Jalen's a guy, like I said at the start of the pod, who his he just continues to develop. You know, really smart guy in terms of um, you know off the court, and I feel that his development. I, I know where Jason Tatum is at um, and where he's continuing to go to. But Jalen Brown, as he continues to develop, I feel like he, he's a big part of what will what will help make this team be a championship contender. If that if that is what where they end up, um, feel I feel like he's we've seen growth in his uh, ISO ability in terms of being able to create off the dribble, um, being uh, able to to set up his teammates as well. We're seeing a little bit more of that playmaking. Uh, obviously, strong defense. Um, and just an overall, a guy who's curious about the game, you know, is um, big on supporting his community and, and uh, you know, his in terms of his um, thoughts on politics and off the court stuff, which shows the caliber of who he is and his character mm-hmm. as well. What um, what are your thoughts on where Jalen Brown is at uh, as a player and, and how he fits into the franchise at the moment? Yeah, he broke through, made his first all-star team last year. I think as long as he's healthy, it's going to be a while before we see him not on the all-star team again. I I think uh, because the team wasn't as good as they thought, I don't know how many people realize he averaged almost 25 points per game, which if that was all he did, that's pretty impressive. Uh, You know, it's become – I guess in vogue in the NBA to, to look down on scoring points sometimes because it's like, no, no, I mean, points are not what matters. And it's like, well, it's still how we measure who wins and loses games. Um, And I get it. If he did it, uh, if he did it shooting 35% from the field, because then he's just a wild gunner, but he shot career highs across the board from the field, from three, from the free throw line, got to the free throw line a good amount. He really had career high numbers in every position, minus, I I think if I have this correct, uh, rebounds. I I think rebounds are the only thing he didn't set a career high in. Um, Set it in assists by almost an assist and a half per game, uh, which is pretty big. Scoring, as I said, his shooting numbers were better than they ever were. I know he had more steals and blocks per game than he had ever had before. So in my mind, I think what's happened now with Jalen Brown is he's fully ready for that. I don't even, I hesitate to even call it the number two role. I call it the one a role behind Tatum and it's, he's not having to share those reps and possessions with Hayward and Walker and Kyrie in the prior years, or even Horford in a bigger role, and those kind of things. Now it's Tatum's going to eat first, as he should, and then it's Jalen Brown gets gets the ball and gets the chance to run, and that that's that's what I think is really uh, pretty special for him. He, he is um, really really good, and it's funny because I don't mean this at all to say the things he does off the court aren't aren't valuable because they're far more valuable than anything he ever will do on the court. But because of those things, it almost, we, some people forget how good of a basketball player he is too. Mm -hmm. You know, when everybody says this guy might be president someday, 
that's true and that's amazing but let's not forget he is an incredible basketball player too he's not just some guy who's you know at the end of the bench kind of doing doing these things he's he's also you know a legitimate all-star and a great great player so uh, it's all that matters with Jalen is he's just got to be healthy if Jalen Brown can stay healthy he'll be an all-star again and the team will be really good if he misses 20 games it's probably going to be a problem Yep, agreed. Yeah, that's a, that's a great breakdown of him. When um, we're talking about the the other the big, the, I'd say the bigger part of the of the core, which is those three um, Brown, uh, Tatum, and and Marcus Smart is the next guy. Um, Marcus Smart just got an extension, um, and yeah, he's he's been part of as I just said, he's been part of a of that strong core. You know, that made the conference finals and and have been strong playoff strong playoff team since. Uh, I love. Marcus Smart's game, and it just feel like when you when you look at the the shot creating style of the two wings and and Tatum and Brown, that Smart's the is like the glue, and he's obviously so loved in Boston because of like who he is and the crazy style of play. And but he's the he's the piece that you know if one of these other young guys popped, or if we saw Brown or Tatum take another step, Smart is like the piece that does all the dirty work and and makes the incredible plays that you don't expect, you know, maybe it's a pull up three at the end of a game that you don't, or a massive defensive stop. He's the kind mm-hmm. of piece you have in your team when um, you are looking to contend for a championship. Um, I'm happy yep. that smart got, you know, that he got paid and that he's locked in now. And um, what, what do you, what do you see his role on, on this team as with Schroeder coming in? And um, do you think, still think he, Obviously, you think he's going to be starting there. Where, where does Smart fit in at the moment? Yeah, I, 100%. I think he starts. I think the the three sure things we know for starters on this team are Tatum, Brown, and Smart. I think the other two spots could be situationally dependent. If they need more size, maybe they go with two bigs and they start Horford and Williams together. Um, if they need to go a little smaller, then it's probably Smart and Richardson with one big and those kind of things. So, But I am fairly certain Smart. Uh, we'll we'll start every game that he is available. They have said, uh, Ime Udoka has already said he's multiple times uh, that he's been asked about it, how he's going to put the ball in his hands and have him run the offense. And that's when we've seen the best version of him offensively. Yes. It's when he is the gets the third, fourth, fifth pass in a possession and there's under 10 on the shot clock, you know it's going up because he feels that pressure of, I got to get a shot off. Yeah. It's when he is the one coming down and setting the offense. That's when it always looks looks better for him. And, and he is somebody who can do that. Now, he hasn't done that a lot the last few iterations of this team because Kyrie's been there and then Kemba was there. Uh, the, the Even the year that Kyrie was out, he shared the floor uh, extensively with Terry Rozier. So they were kind of combo playmakers in the backcourt then. But when Smart is given the reign to – be a point guard, be that more traditional point guard. He usually does quite well with it. Then defensively, you know, he's going to show up. He's still, he slipped last year. And I think that was just more of a, uh, the entire team struggled some, but he, if there's a loose ball on the floor with 10 seconds left, there's nobody in the league. I want going for more than him. Cause you know, he's going to come up with it. It's just going to happen. It's, it's kind of funny. I chuckled to myself. Um, when you were saying you you love his game years ago, probably it's probably about three or four years ago. I met a couple guys at summer league. Uh, 
one from New Zealand, one from Australia, and they they were real good friends. And they said uh, they 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 were just gushing about Marcus Smart and how much yeah. they love him. It was the year he was a free agent for the first time, yeah. and they were like, the Celtics need to resign him. The Celtics need to resign him. And I and I didn't didn't. I was, I was like, man, you guys love that. Like, well, what is it you love about him so much? And they both almost simultaneously said, because it's like he could play for us. <laughs> it's like he's like one, one of us, like dive on the floor and bang bodies and just be tougher than everybody else. And I, so I kind of chuckled to myself because I, I, I think he's got a, got a pretty, pretty good fan following outside of just the, the Boston area for his, uh, his all out style of playing. I think that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. And I, and I, you have to have, um, you have to have that that type of guy on your team, and um, and obviously in markets yep. like we talked about Philly, and obviously you talk about Boston, obviously Philly, those type of places. These these fan bases just go mad for guys like that. Um, and he seems like a dude that's really loyal and just wants to be part of of something bigger. And yeah, it's it's exciting for the fan base. Talk He's also that. the kind of guy you like. You said you need those guys. If uh, yes. Jason Tatum gets fouled hard on a drive to the basket. Smart's the kind of guy who will come and shove the guy yeah. away and those kind of things. And that's and and I'm not saying dirty plays or anything like that. You just you need those guys who are who are gonna have your teammates back. He's gonna be the first one. I mean, the one I always think of was the one where he he sent Embiid sprawling to the floor because he was tired of, you know, Embiid kind of knocking guys around and then complaining about it himself. So yeah. I um yeah, and it's there's times when he does it in games where it's like, dude, there's two minutes left and you're nursing a four point lead. You don't give him, you know, extra free throws and those kind of things. But the 25 other times he does something along those lines that works, you, you, you know, it's just like when he pulls up and takes a 30 foot three in transition, you're like, uh, but then when they go in, you just kind of laugh and say, well, that's Marcus smart. It is what it is. Yeah. Yeah, he's definitely a guy you take you take the good with the bad because you get, yep. that, you get the good ninety <laughs> percent of the time. Um, yep. the, another defender that you that you talked on earlier is, is Josh Richardson. Um, I like that that there's a good piece of business, obviously using the trade exception and then giving him that one year extension. I feel like Richardson is a guy that probably showed more in Miami, and I don't know if that was based on the system or if he was just you know he, if he he just had down years the last little while. But as a guy, I feel who you know can play a bit of two and three. Um, you know, he's sort of he's long and he's got he's got decent size for the wing. Um, but sometimes asked maybe to do a little bit much uh, in a system. If you if you look at you know with Luka Doncic and uh, for a guy that that um, if you're asking him to create too much, then he can do a little bit of that. But then if you're asking him also to play off the ball all the time, then it's like. He's not really one or the other. You you need him to be a combination of both. Really mm-hmm. great defender, and and I feel that uh, obviously Tatum and Brown are going to have massive offensive loads. So you know if if Brown can, if Jalen Brown can lock someone up, hey, you're gonna you're gonna want him to go and do that. But as you get deeper into the playoffs, um, having the the ability to have lots of good wings who can guard guys when you you know you know that that Tatum's going to be playing forty three minutes a night or thirty nine minutes a night in the playoffs. Having another wing that you can throw at people, there's, I feel there's plenty of teams. Like I'm a Blazers guy, um, you know. Some sometimes the Blazers will have only one quality defensive wing, and, and <laughs> like the Celtics. Have sometimes, got, sometimes it's zero. Sometimes it's zero. <laughs> Gary Trent guarding LeBron James. Um, yeah, so, but the Celtics have 
you know, they have three and a half or four, like four guys that could, that can do that. And it, it's great then to be able to say, right, with the, we can hide, we can let Tatum rest on the, on the offensive end a little yep. bit by, by having him on, on the weaker wing option or something like that. Richardson gives you the opportunity to be able to do that and, um, and, match up dependent help there and do a little bit of creation. Do you think that this, this that the fit that he has with the Celtics is better than what he, he's had previously and that he can return to the Miami form where I feel he was at his best in his career? I I think it can be. I, I think that's probably maybe one of the most uh, unanswered questions that we're going to have to just see in the early months of the season. Because what I do worry is he clearly struggled in Philly, being the fourth, sometimes even fifth option on that team. And that that was not great for him. Because as you said, it, it resulted in him kind of standing off ball quite a bit. And that just isn't isn't really what his game is. And then in Dallas, that just got even worse. Then it was really just there to hang out. And, and uh, you were between Luka when Porzingis played. Tim Hardaway Jr., it was very clear you're the fourth guy at best in this pecking order, and maybe not even that. And I think that is that could still ex- exist in Boston, where you've got Tatum and Brown are clearly 1-1-A, Horford, Smart. We don't know who it's going to be or out there with them, maybe still in front of him if he's in the starting group. And then coming off the bench, Schroeder's going to have the ball a ton. I kind of think what we're going to see with Josh Richardson is he'll be one of the first subs out of games. And when he comes back in, it'll be in groups where he can do a little bit more handling of the ball and creation. And I know Brad Stevens isn't coaching the team anymore, but I think you're going to see him much like when Stevens was play kind of that Evan Turner role where it's, yeah, you can carry the playmaking on the second unit some. And you'll go ahead and do it. And I think that's what will happen. But I do think he is going to start just because of his defensive ability. Because I'll tell you whether it's Williams or Horford starting at the big spot with Tatum, Brown, Richardson, and Smart, that's a pretty good defensive group. You're, that, that's going to be hard to score on. And I, and I think that's what you're looking for is let's really get off to great starts defensively, really make teams have to work really hard against this opening group and then and then go from there. And I think Josh Richardson is a guy who he got the extension, but I think it's that's great. But I think a lot of it is what what's next after that. So even though his next contract now is technically taken care of, I think it's the one after that. And that's where he's going to kind of look, all right, you know, well, where, where are we at here? Because I think for him, it's not about signing again. It's also, I want somebody to trade for me to trade for me as a player, not Josh Richardson, the $12 million expiring salary um, when he's on that extension and those kind of things. So I, I think we're going to get a pretty motivated guy uh, there. And I think that's the other thing that Stevens did a nice job of, whether it's Schroeder, Richardson, Horford. There's a lot of guys on this team who are motivated to show, hey, I'm better than what it maybe looked like last year and I'm worth more than what I got. And then on top of that, I think you have Brown who I know he definitely heard some of that. Well, he was only an all-star because it was this weird COVID year and all this other stuff. And then Tatum missing out on all NBA and a ton of money. 
He's brought it up no less than four or five times since it happened. Yeah. So he is absolutely coming in with a chip on his shoulder. So I think we've got a uh, a group here that is coming in kind of angry and ready to show like, hey, let's not uh, um, hand the East over just yet to Miami that we've never seen play together with this group or uh, Philly still who, you know, They've, they've so far it's been uh, much ado about nothing because they've never advanced further than the, you know, then you know a couple rounds. So it just becomes, you know, hey, we're the guy. A couple of us at least are the guys who have been there and done that. Let's you know, let's make sure that's still remembered. So I, I think you've got a very motivated team coming into this season. Yeah, agreed. And and I think that 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 when you think about asset play and the way when you recruit or trade for players is that you. You want guys. I mean, you want guys to obviously play hard every year, but you're you'd be silly if you didn't, you know, be um, if you didn't say that you know people were going to really try and get themselves paid. Like that's the way that it works. You know, we the guys don't play this game for fun. Like they they play for it to make a living and make the most of a of a career when you can make life changing money. And if you have guys that are motivated there to be like right, you know, like. Um, you know, maybe I was on the fringe of, this isn't Richardson's case, but maybe I was on the fringe of being out of the league. I want to secure myself a two-year deal in the next mm-hmm. agency. So like teams bringing in guys who are who have that really strong motivation, um, I think that's that's really important. And and the the, the Celtics have that with, with some guys there that are like, right, I'm I'm ready to prove it. And when you add that to the to that exciting young core of Max guys at it does give some some really strong intrinsic motivation, which is I think is important for the playing group in terms of the way they play and and the way they train. Um, and, and they've got the kids too, yes. Neesmith, Pritchard, yes. Langford, Grant Williams, who I think there are people who are still kind of eh, those guys are okay, but are they going to be? Are they ever going to live up to their draft status? So I, I really do. I think now that's going to be tough for a first time head coach, Ime Udoka, to manage because it can be a little hard when you have like 12 guys all trying to prove themselves because yeah. that tends to manifest, not always in the best stuff out yeah. there, but that's, you know, I trust that he's got enough veterans. I think that was why the Horford bringing him back, uh, re-signing Ennis Cantor. Those are good locker room guys who have no problem going to one of the younger guys and saying, Hey, settle down. I think yeah. signing Robert Williams. Now he's taken care of. He, yeah. he doesn't have to play for a contract. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I think the reality is, that is still an open-ended question with Schroeder. Is he going to fully buy in or is he going to be out there like, hey, everybody look at me, give me $20 million next year. And I said, if it's give me $20 because it's great play and they're winning, awesome, let's go. If yeah. it's give me $20 million because I'm taking 25 shots a night and I'm you know, shooting 35% from the field and it's not good, that's going to turn into, you know what? We only gave you six million. It's not working out. See you later via trade, or we're we're cutting you. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Yeah, that's exactly right. And and I think that trying to build that strong culture around around you know this is bigger than just you. You know, you, you, you maybe you want to come in and get your get your money, but we we're we're looking to build something here where people can buy in, and um, you're not just coming here to get your shots. You know, you're coming to be part of a team, and I think that's important. Um, yep. Jared, we talked. Uh, we haven't talked a lot on Jason Tatum yet. Um, I feel if you looked at the LeBron's, Chris Paul's, um, uh, you know, Kevin Durant's obviously still in his prime, but the but the guys that are slowly moving either uh, into the twilight of their careers or, or moving out of the twilight of their careers, there's no doubt that 
Jason Tatum belongs in that next superstar category. I don't feel he always gets the credit that he deserves when you like how many 30 point per game scorers are there like in the league and then how many of these guys are a six eight wings you know who <laughs> shoot almost 40 percent from three like he's he's a superstar in my eyes and 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 i don't think that that the yeah obviously the playoff i think the playoff success will come for him um but it doesn't it he doesn't need to to do that in my eyes for him to be mentioned among among the best in the league you know and, and it's not it's not about um obviously just about his um his counting stats we've seen him operating in the clutch you know having 50 60 point games um seen him making crazy um, plays off the dribble and i think his his ability to go and get a bucket uh, against some of the best defensive players in the league uh, he's versatile um he's strong he seems like a great kid and and he's still in my eyes i think probably just starting to hit his prime now in terms of his iq yeah. and confidence around his game that this is a true if you're if, if you're an nba team you're like right we need a superstar to build around uh, i think jason tatum is 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 that blueprint yeah i'm not gonna disagree with you in the slightest i i think he is absolutely there already i think this olympic experience guaranteed just knowing who he is and how he works he spent the entire olympic time watching kevin durant yeah. what does he do how does he work oh he was in the gym an hour before everybody else all right let me get into the gym uh all right today he wasn't there early but he came in he did his work he was efficient there was no goofing around he did his thing and off he goes uh he's gonna come back i guarantee with a couple moves or like it looks a little durant like like that yeah i always think durant has a he has that it's it's kind of and i think durant might have maybe even gotten it from carmelo where it's the jab jab one hard dribble pull up rise up way over everybody and knock it down i think uh tatum has that he's i mean durant let's stop fooling around he's seven feet tall even though he doesn't yeah. want to be tatum's not quite that big but he's still got that that length and that that ability and all those things i think um his big thing now is coming back he's got to have a tighter handle um he's got to finish better on his drives to the rim he he leaves too many points off the board on those uh where there's just layups where he should finish but every year that he's been in the league for four straight years running he's averaged more points rebounds and assists than the prior year yes that's hard to do um you know, unless you're you went from having absolutely no role to a you know slightly bigger, so and and has his role has grown, but he's had a big role from day one in the league. So I I think he is with this team. He is a year of really good success, like a real run at the finals. Not have to make the finals, maybe not even make the conference finals, but be in like a game seven in the second round against a really good team where it's really competitive away from everybody across the NBA world saying, all right, yeah, it's done. This guy's a superstar and off we go. And I don't even know that it needs to be to the, even to that extreme. I think most people now realize all right we know what we have and i think think again coming off the olympics guys always make a jump the young guys when they come back because they've seen what it takes and those kind of things and i i think he's coming back with that combined with that chip on his shoulder from the uh not making all nba you're this guy's gonna have a ridiculous season i one of the predictions i made 
I don't now I don't remember where it was because I say a lot of stuff a lot of places, but I <laughs> think he is going to be a thirty point per game guy this yeah. year. And if he's not, it's it's only because the wealth was spread around a little bit more yes. uh, around the roster. But but I think there's a very good chance he he's a thirty point per game score. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, he's he's just such a sensational player, and I think it's exciting for the league that we that we have these young guys coming through. Um, as we work down the rest of the roster and just do quick little breakdowns, the I think the guard rotation off the bench is pretty interesting, but I like the depth that that the Celtics have. I think sometimes it may be fans or people that break the league down sometimes feel that you know you've got a bunch of guys there, then and maybe they haven't really shown out yet. You know, like um, Romeo Langford, Chris Dunn. Um, yeah, Peyton Pritchard, those Carson Edwards, those type of guys. But there, there are guys there that are motivated to get their next deal to stay in the league. Um, what do you think the guard rotation is off the bench? If we just talk about uh, those type of guys, um, and we'll just touch on the guards, and then we can touch on the backup bigs after. Yeah, I think um, Pritchard is going to play for sure, yeah. just because he, he earned that last year. He's he's got that good deep range despite his size he can play on and off the ball quite a bit so he can actually play minutes with Schroeder and I think against backup lineups where mo- very few teams are coming with great size in the backcourt off their bench so I think the Celtics can get away with playing two smaller guards and I think when I talked about Schroeder earlier and I said putting a bunch of shooters around him and one big I think Pritchard is part of that that is have a shooter out there that can space. And the other thing with, with Pritchard is he can space to 30, 35 feet. He has legitimate deep range. Yeah. He's he, Now, he's not doing it off the bounce like Steph or Dame or those guys. Yet, he showed some of that in Summer League. But as a spot-up guy, he'll spot up five, six feet behind the line and let it fly without any worry at all. And that's huge because that pulls guys further away. I think uh, Langford is, he's still the ultimate mystery box on this team. He hasn't been healthy enough to show us what he can do. Uh, Defensively, he flashes offensively every once in a while. You're like, all right, that was something I I'm starting to feel like he is probably more likely to be part of a trade package for something they need, and then he'll show that somewhere else. And then that'll turn into one of those, like, why did we trade this guy? But it just is, you know, I just don't know that it's going to happen for him in Boston. Uh, Aaron Neesmith, I think um, I'll include him in this group because he's guard, wing, whatever you want to call him. He is. He really started to come along last season. He had an extremely messed up uh, entry point into the NBA. He was hurt at the end of his, his final year at Vanderbilt, had no pre-draft process because he was hurt. Uh, clearly, just like everybody else, had no summer league. Then he got injured right at the beginning of training camp, so he was buying the eight ball. Uh, but he really showed up. His shooting was great this summer. It's starting to see, like, wow, this is where I can see it. And I think the long-term plan for him is he slots in as the uh, second guard, second wing, whatever you want to call it, next to Tatum and Brown and Smart in the starting group. Um, probably not this year, but I think that's the plan down the line. Unless you really massively upgrade that position, then that's different. But I, I know that they're very high on him, and, and I think they have every reason to be. So, yeah, I, I, I think they're well-stocked. I feel like a couple of those guys are definitely going to break out and play quite well this year. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, and I think it's I think it's pretty exciting for the um, yeah for the Celtics to have that you know young 
a core of you know ones twos and threes you know basically or wing players and guards that that are going to push each other for their, those backup positions and have yeah. someone like schroeder there to to help guide them and uh have real competition for spots which is really important in terms of the big rotation um i, know, I think people know what Ennis canter can bring uh, obviously i'm a blazers uh blazers stuff do, do a lot of blazers stuff and um, so you'll have him back next year then, because that's how yeah. this goes, right? Yeah, that's it. Perfect. Only a trade <laughs> at the deadline. We'll just give we'll just give you guys another young guard, and, then, uh, <laughs> and you can't come back. Um, but yeah, I mean, people know what Cantor can bring. Uh, I think that the next jump that um, that you see Robert Williams will take, which I th- which I think he can, when you look at um, how young he is. Um, the development in, in his game defensively and, and, and his explosion offensively. He gives that real athleticism that I don't know. Uh, like the, there's obviously other, other athletic players on the team, but he gives that look where if you say, right, we're going to play and transition a bit more and, and you have you know Schroeder out there, like I think he gives that. Um, Bruno Fernando's not a guy that I'm really that high on. I saw him at Summer League a couple of years ago. But if you looked at a young team with guys that, that you know, they're they're trying to prove themselves in the NBA. Maybe he has a chance to play some spot minutes. How do you feel about the uh, about the uh, Williams, Candron, Fernando in particular, as we've already talked about Horford? Yeah, and you left out Grant Williams, who I think Great, actually, the, yeah, I think the team Great. is high on him as well. Still, despite I think most of the fan base has faded on that, but I think yeah. I, I, so Robert Williams clearly that's the guy of that group. Um, when healthy, he has shown he may be the most athletic big in the league. If not, he's he's certainly pretty high up on that list. And I think if you're Boston, what your hope is, is that he can become a your kind of version of Clint Capella, in a sense, where he's a dynamic uh, threat at the rim. He's a better shot blocker than Capella is. He's not the rebounder Capella is. He just he gets moved off the, the spot a little bit. Capella is one of the better rebounding bigs in the league. Um, but Williams has also shown a willingness and ability to hit about a 12 to 15 foot jump shot. Yeah. On occasion, which is Capella will not even take. You know, he he's with the old school measures range in inches kind of guy versus feet, um, because he's only scoring around the bucket. And then Williams, uh, the ability to switch out on the guards and hold his own defensively is ridiculous. I, I always point this out. He's blocked James Harden's step backs, I think, three or four times. Wow. And that's not something that happens, no. you know, very often. And it's and it's only because he just gets up so high so quickly. Uh, he get yeah, it's not even one two where Harden goes sprawling down and it maybe that could have been a foul or not. Yeah. It's it, there's no contact. He doesn't come close to him. So um, he's the guy. Cantor, yeah, we Cantor's going to be his role is going to be. All right, we're struggling to find offense. Put him in. We'll we'll post him up a few times. He's still going to deliver for you against second unit centers there. Uh, a night where it's our, we're not getting shots to go in. So let Canner kind of do the volleyball deal where he gets a bunch of offensive rebounds and scores that way. That's fine. And then defensively, he's a mess and it's not going to be very good. And you're just going to, you know, hope it doesn't kill you that he gives back as much as he, he gets for you on the other end. But he's clearly the third big. And then Grant, or maybe even the fourth, because I think Grant Williams will be the guy who will play more regularly yes. uh, for this team. They like him as a small ball five because he can yes. handle the ball, he can pass, he can shoot. Yeah. And then Bruno Fernando, we'll see. I, I still have kind of doubts that he'll make the team. Yeah. I'm not even entirely sure because they, they've got to 
move on from someone somewhere. And it's probably going to be him or Jabari Parker or Carson Edwards or somebody because yeah. um, they're carrying one more guy than they can. Yes. Um, so I think Fernando being more of a traditional five kind of sort of, even though he's smaller than the old school traditional five, I just don't think that gives them the versatility. And I kind of skipped over Chris Dunn when you asked me about the guards, but I think he's kind of maybe in the same position. Let's see what he looks like. And that could be one where, okay, we're going to move on from one or two of those guys in a trade. I thunder if you're listening, cause you'll be trade, you know, players contracts for a pick any day. Um, yeah just to lower the tax bill and get the team within range of missing. But yeah, so it's, it's going to be, that's going to be kind of the fun thing to watch out play out here over the next month, month and a half as the final roster comes together, who they move and how they, they do that. Cause they're going to have to move on from someone. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. That's a, that's a really good point. The um, having too many guaranteed contracts there. I think that, I think that that, like if you're talking about training camp or, you know, um, the, the, the date, the cut, the cut down date, like, yeah, and this competition for spots is great. <clears throat> I didn't talk about Graham Williams, but yeah, he's a guy like Andre Agadala type of small ball five or Draymond Green, whoever you want to compare him to. Just having that those type of those type of guys who gives that giving that great lineup versatility where um, you can guard multiple positions and the the lineup versatility. I mean, when we you think about what we've talked about in this hour or so, uh, the lineup versatility that this team has is great. And if you're gearing up for the playoffs, you know. Um, and you and you say, especially with the improvement that maybe a guy like Grant can have, being able to have seven or eight guys that can play in the playoffs, or maybe even nine, obviously it's an improvement from what you had from the from yep. the from last Big time. year. And, and <laughs> it's exciting. That's exciting for the team when you talked about them really only having five before, because at the end of the day, to get in the to get through the East, you got to go either against all the crazy shot creators of the Hawks, uh, and I don't know if they can do as well as they did last year, but. Regardless, you're going to have then uh, obviously the Nets, um, just similar but at a higher level, and then the amazing bigs that the Bucks and the 76ers have. So I think that the Celtics have given themselves a lot of flexibility, and I think that they give themselves a better chance in the playoffs. Yeah, if they get back to being a team that's in the mix to make a deep playoff run, it's because the defense got back to being a top 10 at a minimum, but closer probably to a top five defense. And then they've got the offense maintains being a top 10 offense. They finished 10th in offense last year and the defense by at the end of the year finished 14th, I believe it was. Yeah. And that was, was not where they usually have been over the last few years, especially defensively. And it just, for all sorts of reasons, it all kind of fell apart on them. And I think that's going to be the biggest single biggest thing that pushes them up in the standings. I think a couple of the teams that passed them this last year are going to find, well, wait a minute, these guys get after it defensively and that's going to be the difference. Yeah. Agreed. And I, and I think, I think that's really exciting. Um, Keith, thanks so much for coming in and having this amazing chat around the Celtics. I think provided a lot, there's a lot of Celtics fans in New Zealand provided um, some really great discussion around where the team's at and, and I always like to reflect at the end of the pod and, and sort of recalculate my own thoughts around the team. I feel that they're in a really exciting spot um, and that even if fans haven't been overly satisfied with where the team is at in terms of where they've finished in the playoffs over the last few years, I feel like they have a lot to look forward to as a fan base and um, the franchise has had a bit of a change in the front office which, and in terms of coaching, which I also think is exciting for, for fan base and for the franchise itself to be like, you know, we've got these 
these new people in here and, and, and that'll be nice and refreshing. So I really appreciate the part you that you play in, in terms of um, being part of the cap nerds of NBA Twitter across the world. <laughs> Appreciate you taking time out of your day to, to discuss a really exciting team in the Celtics. Happy to have done it. Thank you for having me. No worries. Have a great day. Thank you.